Would you pause and pray with me? Lord, we walked in today needing somebody that's bigger than our circumstances, someone that's bigger than what we're facing. Some of us have attached ourselves to things that in the end can't rescue us and can't save us. Some of us have attached our things to money. Some of us have attached our hopes and our dreams to uh, a relationship working out the way we think that it ought to work out. We've attached our hopes and dreams and our own abilities to make things work out. And God, we, we need someone bigger, and that's you. And so we're here today. We're here today to hear you speak to our heart, to receive in the depths of our soul what only your spirit can give. And so God, meet us here today. Uh, you've promised that where two or three of us are gathered, you'd be there in the middle of us. And so meet us here today. We need to hear from you. We pray this in your name. All God's people said, amen. Hey, before you are seated, we're going to read the scriptures together um, here in just a moment. And um, I want you to do something with me, though. Sitting at home on, uh, on your couch or here in the room, I want you to pull out your phone. And um, we're going to put a, a slide up here. We're ending this series today called Fixer Up, where we're going to take communion at the close of the service. But I want you to do something. Um, we're going to do this series starting next week on the book of Jonah. Now, uh, we've titled the series Kicking and Screaming. How many of you ever had a kid and you've tried to take your kid to do something. Remember when your kids were little? We're talking about parenting today. And uh, I don't know if you've ever done the like, actual plank of child screaming. Do you know what I'm talking about? Any parents? Just me? Okay. Just me and Katie. Okay, great. Uh, but it's that idea that we, we sometimes do things very reluctantly. And uh, we're going to be looking at the book of Jonah starting next week. But here's what we're going to talk about, because this is what the book of Jonah is about. Um, it's about racism. It's about nationalism. It's about all the isms that God doesn't want anything to do with. And we're going to talk real honestly about those things, because I know that's a moment uh, that we're facing as a, as a culture and as a church, and, and the, the, the church of Jesus needs to find the right path. And so I want you to invite somebody who wants to, wants to wrestle with those things. So here's what I'd like for you to do, is to take a picture of this screen right here. If you're sitting at home, snap a picture of your thing. And this week, I, I, I don't want you to take the cheap route out of this, um, I want you to invite three people. Send a text message this week with that screen. Say, that's my pastor, and he said I'm supposed to send this to you. If you need an out, uh, you blame me. And take a picture of that and say, I want to invite you to uh, this at my church this next week. I invited someone to service this week, and um, I want you to do the same thing. So uh, that's that. So thank you for doing that. Uh, I want to talk to you today about how there's hope for dysfunctional families. I was uh, in seminary, and I was, uh, it was around Mother's Day. One of my coworkers, a lady, had a, a card, and she said, um, this is a card from my mom. And I looked at the card, and it said, Mom, you put the fun back in dysfunctional. <laughs> and uh, we're going to talk a little bit about that today, but we're going to be reading from uh, the book of Genesis, chapter 37. It's a little bit longer. You've been standing for a long time, those of you here in the room. Thank you. Just another minute, okay? Uh, Genesis chapter 37, verse 2. It'll be on the screen. I'll, I will read aloud. This is the account of Jacob's family line. If you've ever read or known the story of Jacob, you know his name was changed to Israel. It's where the nation of Israel comes from, is this man Jacob and his family line. Joseph, a young man of 17, was tending the flocks with his brothers, the sons of Bilhah and the sons of Zilpah, if you're looking for baby names, his father's wives, and he brought father a bad report about them. Now Israel, Jacob, loved Joseph more than any of his other sons. Dysfunction right there. Because he had been born to him in his old age, and he made an ornate robe for him, a, a coat of many colors, one of the translations says. 
When his brothers saw their father loved him more than any of them, they hated him and could not speak a kind word to him. Joseph had a dream, and when he told it to his brothers, they hated him all the more. He said to them, listen to this dream I had. We were binding sheaves of grain out in the field when suddenly my sheaf rose and stood upright while your sheaves gathered around mine and bowed down to it. Like if, you're a, if you're a kid, please don't say that to your brothers and sisters. They're not going to like you. His brothers said to him, do you intend to reign over us? Will you actually rule us? And they hated him all the more because of his dream and what he had said. Then he had another dream, didn't learn his lesson, told it to his brothers, listen, I had another dream. This time the sun and moon and 11 stars were bowing down to me. When he told his father as well as his brothers, his father rebuked him and said, what is this dream you had? Will your mother and I and your brothers actually come and bow down to the ground before you? His brothers were jealous of him, but his father kept the matter in mind. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Thank you so much for standing. Well, really quick review uh, before we jump into what we're talking about today. Um, last week, we talked about parenting and talked about two approaches to parenting that the, the Apostle Paul gave us, gave us some parental coaching. And one, of, one approach of, uh, to parenting is that you would uh, be at a distance from your kids and that you would prod your kids with fear and anger. Like, I can't get any other motivational structure to work, and so I'm going to prod my kids from a distance. And uh, if you were here last week, you know I, I, I put on my, uh, my guide harness, my, my harness for rock climbing, and had a, had a carabiner on the end of it. I've got a carabiner here. And I, what I encourage you to do as a parent is I said, hey, listen, your options are either stay at the end of your fear and anger and prod your kids, or what you can do is act as a guide to your kids and clip in. And, and it's a phrase from, from climbing and rock climbing. You clip in. You, you have that attached to your harness, and you put the rope in, and, and you attach yourself to them. And we even have some carabiners down here on the altar at the close if you want to get one. I, it was a really powerful moment for me personally, working through the message, and then, and then this week as I was thinking about it, I, I need to re-up on that as a dad. I need to, I'm going to clip in with my kids. I'm not going to let go. And so there's a, there's a carabiner down here if you want to take one of those. And, and you're going to have to clip in to be a guide to your kids in at least two ways, especially, let me say this to dads. This applies to moms too. Uh, dads, you're going to have to, uh, you're gonna have to clip in emotionally to your kids, and you're going to have to clip in in your schedule. You can't just decide, yeah, I'm going to clip in. You've got to make room in your schedule for, I'm going to make sure that I'm present with my kids. Super important. You've got to clip in. Um, but we're talking today about how to help your kids grow, how to, how to, in the middle of whatever your family is like, how do you help your kids grow? And so let me, let me give you, a, if I could, a, a, a metaphor for that. When you're thinking of growing something, and we're talking here organically, a plant, what do you do? You take the plant, and you put the seed, or if it's transplanting the plant, you put the seed in some soil, right? And that plant is sitting there in the soil, and that soil serves as the context for the growth of the plant. Now, here's the metaphor that applies to you and I as parents. If the soil is the context that the plant grows in, guess what that means for you and I as parents? That means that you are the context that your child grows in. You're the soil that, that God put them into to help them grow. Now, I recognize that saying that and saying it like that, when you say, well, I'm the context for my kid growing, <laughs> that is both overwhelming and hopeful. Well, why is it overwhelming? Well, it's overwhelming uh, because think about it this way. I've got it kind of like a formula. Your character, 
who you are, the kind of person that you are, your values, what's important to you, and your dreams, where you're headed in life, what you think is important in life, where you've, the trajectory you've pointed your life in, that is their context. Your kids don't have any other context other than you. And that, again, it's a little bit overwhelming, but think about our metaphor again. So there's that plant, and it has soil, and you likely put some fertilizer into it if you want to grow it, and then that's the context for the growth. So there's, so there's the nourishment of the soil, and then if you like, there's the, there's the fertilizer. Let's call it the manure, the mess. And, and if you want to have a better kid, that requires a better you, and that's very overwhelming. And it's overwhelming for at least a couple of reasons. Number one, often as parents, we feel inadequate to give our kids nourishment because we're working on ourselves and we're thinking, how am I going to give anything to them when I still have this work to do? And then it's also overwhelming when you think about that from the, the angle of, of fertilizer or manure. Uh, you go, well, I got plenty of that. <laughs> um, you know, I got all this stuff I'm dragging through life. If you had a parental bumper sticker, the parental bumper sticker might read, manure happens, you know, like me, I'm, I'm that person. And so that can feel very overwhelming. But at the same time, here's what I want to tell you, is that actually that is very hopeful because when you say, okay, I'm the context that my kid grows in, that means it pushes you to the first thing that every parent needs. And I had some comments from folks last week who we talked about character and, and some folks came up and they said, man, I just feel like a, I feel like a failure. I Listen to that. I'm like, ah, oh, blew my shot. But this is the, the first thing that every parent needs. It's grace. The most important ingredient a parent needs is grace. When I was in the seventh grade, I was in, uh, we lived in Omaha, Nebraska, and we had moved from one part of Omaha because the church relocated their campus to another part of Omaha. And so I had to switch uh, school districts, and I was in the Ralston uh, School District at Ralston Middle School. Let's go. And um, we had, at that time, I don't know if, if this still happens, I don't think that it does from my own kid's experience, but we had home ec, okay? Don't judge. Um, everybody had to take home ec, and you would go through uh, in the seventh grade, and um, you would make a shirt, I made a shirt, and uh, you would have to do all these different you know, kind of home kind of things. I guess they wanted you to be prepared for life in case you needed to sew a shirt in emergency. I don't know. So, but one, one, uh, one uh, section of the class was baking a cake. I had to learn to bake a cake. And so we had a team of people, and we had this little mock kitchen, and, and we had to follow the instructions. You know, here's to put all the ingredients in. So we put all the ingredients in, and we're seventh graders, and seventh graders have a tendency to not really pay attention. And so we get it all in and mix it all in in the cake pan, and we turn the oven on, and we put the, we put the cake into the oven, and we close the oven, and then we sit down, and I don't remember if it was me or one of the other kids, but we're looking at the ingredients, and, uh, and I don't remember what the ingredient was, but we'll just call it, we'll just call it baking soda. When someone looked at it and went, did, did you put the baking soda in? No, did you? No, did you? Well, it had been in for about five minutes at this point. So, oh my gosh. So we go over, we pull the oven open, we pull the cake out, we take this baking soda or whatever it was, we sprinkle it in, we stir it up. It's kind of starting to set up a little bit, but we're like, we should be fine. Put it back in the oven, we sit back down and do like seventh graders do, and we look over the list again, and one of the other kids, I vividly remember this, said, it says you're supposed to put cinnamon in the cake. Did you put the cinnamon in the cake? No. Did you put the cinnamon in the cake? No. 
I didn't put the cinnamon in the, oh, run back over to the stove. It's another five minutes. Like, I, I don't know if you know this, but when you've had a cake in the oven for 10 minutes, it's kind of hard to mix ingredients back in. Do you know what I'm talking about? So we go and we put the, we put the cinnamon in and we put it, we put the cake back in and put it in the oven. I got a D for that cake, which I think was for dumb. Um, it, it didn't taste great. And it was not a great cake because it was missing some of the key ingredients. That's what I'm saying about parenting. Grace is the key ingredient that you need in the cake of your parenting. And that's why I, I think I don't know how you parent if you don't have the grace of God in your life. This is the Christian message. This is the, the gospel, the good news, is that God made us good, Genesis chapter 1 and 2. We went and we created a mess, and we, we created this mess that we can't get ourselves out of, and we can't save ourselves, and so we recognize that we need outside help to get the job done. If you want a simple definition of what a Christian is supposed to be, I realize we don't always live up to this. A Christian is just an honest person who's humbled by the fact that they need God's help. Kind of it. And it's only God's grace that makes up my gaps. And so if I want to be better at parenting, I want to be a better me and have a better context for my kids, then I need the grace of God. I need the forgiveness of God. Now, let me explain what God's grace does for you as a parent. Um, think about, again, our metaphor. You know, if you have the soil and then you've got the manure, what do you do with the, what do you do with the manure? I want you to think about farms here. Now, if you keep the manure in a pile, it just smells, right? You can just be like, hey, look, look over there, guys. There's my pile of manure. And life happens, and you put more on it. Oh, hey, Bill, look, your pile of manure is bigger than the last time I saw you. Yep, it sure is. There it is, stinking, sitting in a pile. But a farmer looks at the manure and goes, aha, I can take that manure, I can take that mess, and I can do something with it, and I can grow things with it. And so the farmer puts his shovel into the manure and takes it over to the plant and gives it fertilizer. That's God's grace. God's the farmer. He sees your pile of mess. He sees your big, giant, stinking pile, and he takes the shovel of grace, and he uses your brokenness to grow something beautiful. I, all parents need a special dispensation. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give it to you right now. You don't need my permission, but I'm going to give it to you. I, there's a new thing. It's called parental grace, and every parent is welcome to have a full serving of it. It's the, it's the grace of God that does something with your mess and does something in the lives of your kids because you allow God to take that and spread it around and do something good with it. Well, we need to talk about the state of families, though, for a second, because in the middle of us trying to be in the context, we've got to talk about the whole family for a second. And a lot of parents really wrestle with the state of families here. We've, we've introduced language about our families, and it's from psychology, and I, I hope you understand you can take insight from any, any place. And, and psychology has given us some great insight into how families operate, even in the last kind of 60 years. 60 years or so ago, and I would dare say some of you sitting in the room when your kids were little, you didn't even use these words because they weren't normal, they weren't in the vernacular, uh, but you, 60 years ago, someone wouldn't talk about their family and say that their family was dysfunctional. Um, they would just say, it's my family, and they're a little bit crazy. <laughs> uh, There's a little bit off. We didn't have language for it, and what psychology has done is given us some insights to better understand family dynamics. And so this word dysfunction refers to the, the function of the family, the healthy function of the family, not working. It's dist. It's, uh, it's not working. It's not functional. It, it, it refers to bad patterns and painful emotions and, 
and unhealthy things that get put in the life of a family. It's the, talked about it the first week when we talked about marriage, the foo factor. It's the, you know what foo factor is? F-O-O, family of origin factor. Factors into how you, how you parent today. And, and what this function assumes is that there's a, a healthy way to do family and that if you're stuck in the pain, it's hard, to, it's hard to get out of the pain if you can't see a future, and it's hard to give your kids dreams when you're stuck in the patterns and, and requires you seeing past the dysfunction. Now, this again, this is why we need grace as parents, because what grace does is it gives us a way to heal from the past. And instead of the, the foo factor driving the way we operate toward our kids, it, it allows us to find some healing. Now, listen, you can't escape the family that you came from. It, it, it's shaped you, but I need you to tell you that the foo is not you. That's not who you are. It, it shaped you. L- listen, you need to hear this, okay? Your dysfunction is not your destiny. Your dysfunction is not your destiny. Do you hear that? That's, you could say amen to yourself about that. Like, well, amen, that's true. I like that. Now, you may have been, uh, had dysfunction handed to you growing up, and, and that's not what you have to hand to your kids. That doesn't have to be their destiny. You can break the cycle. You may have had dysfunction growing up, and I, you need to understand that's not your destiny going forward as a parent. It doesn't have to be that way. The grace of God is for you. So this story right here in Genesis chapter 37, verse 50, it's one of my favorite stories in all of the Bible. I read it at least once a year. And by the time I get to the end of this story of the life of Joseph and, and Jacob and his family, I, I cry every time. I mean, I don't know if you're a crier, but man, I, I, I'm not kidding when I say I, ever, I get to the end of that story and I just weep. It's such a beautiful, beautiful story. But it's also a story of a hopelessly dysfunctional family. I, I don't know if you want to feel good about your family. Go read the stories of the families in Genesis. You will come out being like, my family's amazing. These guys were a mess. Uh, Jacob and Esau, if you know that story, Jacob's the father of Joseph, and Jacob cheated his brother Esau out of his birthright from his father, and then um, he goes and he works for uh, a girl, Rachel, that he thinks is beautiful, but the, his stepfather, or his father-in-law tricks him and gives him the older sister Leah instead, and, and then the, the, Leah can have children, and then but he works another seven years for Rachel, and polygamy was a cultural thing at the time, and by the way, uh, for those of you who say, well, see, the Bible's all messed up on how it describes marriage. No, no, the subtext of the book of Genesis, because it starts out with a man and a woman, and then the, the fall happens in Genesis chapter 3, and chapter 3 all the way to the end of Genesis, it's the story of what we do when we're screwed up. <laughs> and, and the subtext of the Bible, if you read it, is that polygamy is always terrible for people. So the Bible's not endorsing polygamy for those of you who are like, well, the Bible says, no, it doesn't. Um, that's a misreading of the text. So Jacob and Esau, uh, they, they have this fight. He has these two uh, wives, Leah and Rachel. Leah has all these children, and Rachel can't. And, and so she gives him her servants to have children. It's just a total mess. I mean, if Netflix put this on as a reality show, all of America would be like, give me the popcorn. This is amazing. I, I love this show. And so together, between all these women, uh, he has 12 sons and um, the, the 11th son is Joseph, and later we learn in the story the 12th is, is Benjamin. Now, what does this say? I, I just need to give you a little bit of permission here for a second. What this says is that the Bible is very realistic. doesn't sugarcoat things, doesn't paint an unattainable picture. 
paints a realistic picture of the human dilemma. And then, this is the message of the Bible, shows how God works in the middle of our mess. That's okay to say amen to right there. I just don't know if you know that. God, God is not, here's the message of Genesis and the message of the whole Bible. God is not limited by our dysfunction. That's some good news. So here's Joseph in the story. We read it, and his brothers, they are so mad at him. He's, given, he's had this dream that we'll come back to in a second. And they say in Genesis 37, 19, his father sends him out to see his other older brothers. And they say, you know, you can hear the sarcasm and the cynicism and the hatred in their voice. Genesis 37, 19, here comes that dreamer, they said to each other. I mean, that's just a term of derision, that, that, that ridiculous kid that's our brother. Now, I want to give you uh, really fast here... Um, some things that we learn about dreams, because we're going to come back and apply this in a second, so hang with me. Three things we learn about dreams, because the, the, uh, a central component of Genesis 37 to 50 are, are the dreams that God gives to Joseph. And here's what I want you to hear first, okay? God is the maker of people and the giver of dreams. God, God gives dreams to people so that they flourish. You're you were meant to have dreams. Remember when you were a kid and you had dreams? Like, what do you want to be when you grow up? Oh, I don't know. And you'd have these pictures and visions of what your life might be like. You know, I, my parents tell me that I used to want to be a garbage man. Hey, I'm all for garbage men because I appreciate what they do. What an incredibly essential piece of our society that no one notices. But, I, but, I, but we've all had that, right? God gives dreams to people so that they flourish. God gives us dreams because dreams lift us and they uh, lift us out of our present moment and they propel us and they move us. I, I've said to you multiple times and I'll say it to you many other times, we, as a church we have a dream. We want to be, reach 1% of Wichita. Like that's 6,000 people. I don't know if you've done the math. We want to be the kind of church that when people go, oh that church on, Ke I don't know much about that church on Kellogg, but man I've heard that they love this community. We want to be the kind of church that that the, the city can't do without because of the way we serve the city and love the city. That's a dream. That moves us and propels us. Dreams are a gift from God to do that. that God's the maker of people and he's the giver of dreams. And so we have to encourage our kids to dream because dreams are from God. God gives us dreams. Uh, you have to connect your kids to God so that God can give them dreams. Number two, the character is the foundation of all great dreams. Character is the foundation of all great dreams. We talked a little bit about this last week, but character, uh, character is a journey. And if you lack character, that is a form of cancer to dreams. Now, do you know how biologically cancer works? It eats and distorts. Grows something malignant and ugly that you need to remove. Without character, that's what happens to those dreams God gives you. It's just it, ugly. I mean, you might accomplish great things, but the wake you leave behind you is painful for everybody. You have to have... But this is, this, this is the story of Joseph, if you know his story. So here he is at, at 17 years old, and he has these dreams. Let me read it for you again. Um, Joseph had a dream, and when he told it to his brothers, they hated them all the more. Let me, let me, let me paint the picture of the, the, the character journey at this point. He's 17 years old. What does he say about the dream? Listen to this dream I had. He doesn't recognize that God is the giver of dreams. He has no sense that God gives dreams. He doesn't get that. It is about me. That's the character journey, isn't it? 
That's where it starts. It's just about me. It's about my life. Well, he goes out to his brothers in the field, and, and they see him coming, and, and uh, some of them say, let's kill him. I'm sick of this stupid kid. And his older brother, Reuben, talks some sense to them. He says, no, 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 let's, I'll tell you what we'll do. We'll put him down here in this pit. And, uh, and about that time as they do this, and they're trying to you know, talk amongst themselves and argue amongst themselves about what they're going to do about this ridiculous kid that they all hate, these, these traders come along. They're along a main trade route. And one of them has the idea while Reuben is off doing something else, let's sell him to them. So they do. You want our brother? Yeah, you can have him. And they take and they kill an animal and they dip his coat, his, or coat of many colors in blood and they take it back to their father, Jacob, and, and they say, oh, you know, Dad, I, I don't know. I mean, we just came across the coat and here it was laying. They all were implicit, complicit in the lie. We don't know, God. I mean, we don't know, Dad. You know, here, it must have been a mountain lion. And, of course, Jacob grieves. Well, you, you fast forward through the story Joseph is sold off to Egypt to Potiphar, who is one of the, the chief of police. He'd be kind of like the secretary of state. That would be an, an analogous role that Potiphar had in, in Egypt. A very important man. He's put into his house as a, as a house slave, and he's so responsible that the time comes that, uh, that Potiphar says, you know what, this, this young man is so capable, I'm just going to let him run my household. And, and according to the timeline, it's, it's maybe about a decade that he lives in Potiphar's house, and and Potiphar's wife um, at one point notices that, and the, the text says that, you know, that he was very shapely and very handsome, and he was just a good-looking kid. And, and Potiphar's wife, when Potiphar is off doing his business, starts to notice Joseph. And she tries to seduce Joseph. And Joseph's like, I can't do that. My, my master has entrusted my whole house. He, I couldn't do this to my master. Well, the time comes when she, she tricks him and, and tries to tries to get him to come into her, and he flees, and he's, she's left holding his cloak. And then when Potiphar comes home, uh, he, his wife, you know, ah, what happened? Oh, Joseph, you know Joseph. And if, if you read the subtleties of the text, it, it kind of implies that this was kind of how Potiphar's wife acted, but Potiphar had to save face. You could read it multiple ways there. But So he takes Joseph, and he throws Joseph in prison. So what's happened the character journey, you know, it's just me, here's my dream, I'm at the center of it, and then what's happens? He's sold into slavery, human traffic, he's wrongly accused, he's thrown into jail, and the text says he's there for a couple of years. Happens that two of the king's uh, inner circle would have been like the king's, the, the pharaoh's cabinet, basically, it'd be an analogous way of looking at it, come likely a plot against the life of the pharaoh, and they're thrown in jail until the Pharaoh can do his investigation, figure out what's happened. And, and while they're in, uh, the, the two of them have a dream. And, um, you know, they both have a dream. And they come uh, and they, they, they tell these dreams to Joseph in the morning. And, and here it is in Genesis chapter 40, verse 8. We'll put it on the screen for you. They both have these dreams in the night. And they say this, we both had dreams. But there is no one to interpret them. Now listen. Then Joseph said to them, Listen how the character journey has shifted. Do not interpretations belong to God? I mean, you know, he's learned something from the, the decade of pain. But tell me your dreams. I mean, I learned something over the last 10 years, but I'm still pretty awesome. <laughs> Fast forward, the, the, what he says about the dreams happens, and one of them is killed, and the other was restored to his position. And fast forward a couple of years, and, and the Pharaoh has dreams. 
And Joseph had said to the man, he said, no, like, listen, remember me when you get to Pharaoh. I mean, I, I, I helped you. He's like, oh, yeah, I got you. Forgets about him completely. Two years go by, and now Joseph is around 30 years old, you know, from 17 to 30, and Pharaoh has these disturbing dreams, and, and the, 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 the man that Joseph interpreted the dream for remembers Joseph. Oh, you know, oh, king, when I was in prison, there was this man, and he told me what my dream meant because the Pharaoh had reached out to all of his, uh, all of the, uh, his astrologers and wise men, and, you know, he couldn't come up with an interpretation, and so he sends for Joseph. Now, notice the character journey. Genesis 41, verse 15. Twelve years in prison, in captivity. Pharaoh said to Joseph, I had a dream and no one can interpret it, but I have heard it said of you that when you hear a dream, you can interpret it. Now listen to the, what's step one in the character journey? It's all about me. Step two in the character journey is you know, God can do that, but it's also about me. I'm going to share the stage. I'm going to share the stage with God. Here's step three in the character journey. I cannot do it, Joseph replied to Pharaoh, but God will give Pharaoh the answer he desires. Now he's no longer at the center. It, it, life has beat it out of him. And then you could fast forward even further. You could go to Genesis chapter 50 where he finally, this is another decade down the road and he's able to make peace with his past. And it's where I cry every time I read the story. Any beautiful scene where he reconciles with his brothers who come down from Israel and they don't recognize him. And it's the character journey. And the character journey is replacing you at the center with God at the center and then God comes along and partners with you, so that your dreams can be bigger than you, which leads to the third thing about dreams. Great dreams are about God's redemption, not just you. We're taught, aren't we, that, uh, that dreams are about us. This is the American way. You know, we're, we're the land of dreams. You know, we got the American dream. And I have some, a friend who calls it the five capitals. I'm going to put them up here for you. Um, and what my friend says, he says, listen, this is how it operates. This is what we think is important, that, this, that, that you have financial capital, that you be a financial success. That's kind of the goal. You know, we have lists that talk about the, the hundred wealthiest people in America and the hundred um, wealthiest people in the world. We have no list about the hundred most loving people in America. That doesn't even exist, right? Why? Because we think financial capital is the, the goal of everything. And then, then he says that what we have is we have intellectual capital. It's like, well, not only, not only do I have a lot of money, but I went to the right school, or I've got the right degrees, or I've, got the, I've read the right books, or I know the right things, and I've got the right insights. And then he said, that, uh, after that, it's physical capital. It's how good-looking are you? you know, you're, I don't know if you know this. I had a friend who worked in insurance for a number of years and said if you were in an accident and you were attractive and you were disfigured, insurance would give you more money. Why? We think that's important. And then it's great if you can develop some relationships, right? You have relational capital and, you know, you got some, that's good. I mean, have some friends and whatnot. And then if you're a spiritual person and you like, you know, you, you like spirituality and you kind of get in touch with yourself, like that's pretty cool, right? But as parents, this is what we're taught. Make sure that your kids have the dreams where they're going to make a lot of money and they're going to be super successful because that's what we mean. Make sure they go to the right schools, they get the right education, you sacrifice for them so they can go to the right schools, and then, man, they got to look good, so you got to make sure your kid dresses okay and has the right clothes, and then, you know, you, you care about their friends, but I mean, and then, I, might, I mean, I think it's good that they go to church, but 
this is the, this is the dream, right? I, I want to suggest to you, and this is what my friend says about it, that it's, it's the other way around. See, the, the kingdom of God operates this way, the, the, this way. The most important thing about you is the kind of person that you are and who you are connected to. You would know the love of God and that then you would develop relationships because it's what does Jesus say is the most important commandment that you would love the Lord your God with all of your heart, all of your soul, all of your mind, all of your strength. And then the second is like it, Jesus says, that you would love your neighbor as you love yourself. And then it's about the energy that you steward to see these things happen. And then it's about what you know and where you've been. And then it's about the money you have. But really, honestly, you take these things, which are great things in and of themselves. I'm not saying any of these things are unimportant. But these become tools to see this happen. And you could argue that what Jesus says when he says, come follow me, is he's saying, listen, you don't have this. You got this. Give me this. I'll give you that. Now, you got to understand, that's great dreams are about God's redemption, not just you. And, and isn't, isn't Joseph's dream, at the beginning, it's the other way around, right? When he dreams that dream, it's like, I'm at the top, and you're all bowing down to me because I'm amazing. God is the giver of dreams, and it's about the kingdom of God. It, it's why uh, Martin Luther King's I Have a Dream speech is so compelling, because this is what his dream is. Well, I wanted you to hear from some moms, and um, I, they're going to come up here, a couple moms there in our group, um, Sarah and Katie, and they're going to come up here for a second, and we're in just a minute going to take communion together. So ladies, if you would make your way up here, I'll get some chairs for you. Can you just say welcome to them? Just give them a little bit of a clap there. And we're going to sit down and have a, just, a, just a chat really quick. Here, you guys have a seat right there, and I'll sit down on the end. So uh, we talked yesterday about this a little bit, and we talked about the fact that uh, as moms, that um, it's challenging to be a mom today. And um, what are some ways, uh, what are some ways, uh, some hopes and some dreams that you have had as moms for your kids? So this is Katie, and this is Sarah. We got a picture. Can you tell us about your family first, Katie? Um, I think the picture's behind you here. We're going to get you a microphone. How about if we do that? Here you go. Take that. Thank you. That's why they don't let me run the microphones. There we go. Um, I have two kids. We have two kids. A daughter named Aubrey. She's 13. And our, Tyler, our son, Tyler, is 16. No. Okay. Aubrey is 12. Shh. Don't tell her. I don't got tell her age her. wrong. Won't yeah. say it. Won't 12. say a word. Okay. Okay, and then your kids. Yeah, so I have three kids. Eleanor is fourteen. Um, Ben is eleven, and Joshua is turning nineteen. Okay, and then what? Can you tell us what are what are for you, Katie? Just a as a mom, some dreams that you have for your kids. What are you What are you hoping for them as a mom? Because you're a follower of Jesus. You're a Christian. I am. Yeah. Okay. Um, I want my kids to be kind, to grow up to be kind people. Um. And I also want them to grow up learning or knowing how to serve and serving, yeah. serving God, serving people. Yeah, which are super powerful. Yeah, Sarah, for you, what, what are some, some yeah, things? Yeah, I've been thinking a lot about some things, but then um, 
high schools for Eliana, so she's an eighth grader this year. And as I've been comparing schools and thinking about like, okay, well, what is it really that I want her to learn? What do I want my kids to learn? Um, you know, does she need to go to a school that has fine arts incorporated? Do they need to have sports there? Like what subject areas? Does it need to have foreign language? Um, what I came to was finally like, what I really want my kids to know by the time they graduate high school mm. is just that God loves them mm. and I want them to feel, um, I want them to have a sense of God's voice in their life and I want them to be confident in the gifts that they've been given so that they can go serve. Um, mm. And that's really, and yeah. I don't know which school that's going to be. Sure. Um, and it may not be at school at all, which is sure. freeing for me as I was sort of making that decision. So yeah. anyway. And then as you think about ways that you've, we were talking about this yesterday, uh, ways that you've, things that you've done, strategies, whether intentional or not, that you've employed to try and work those characteristics into your kids. What, what's something that's worked for you? So I was reflecting on that question and just recognizing that parenting isn't something I can do by myself, and it's something that takes a village. And so I was thinking of specific examples where um, someone else spoke into our lives, and then I saw the fruit of that in my own kids, like in a surprising way. So one of those was last spring, right after the shutdown, when you were encouraging us to take prayer walks through our neighborhood. Mm -hmm. And frankly, it was really humbling to recognize that um, it took the shutdown for me to make time for that in our schedule to just mm. walk our neighborhood. Mm. Um, but as we were walking, I would, you know, tell my kids. They didn't even know the names. That, like, I know the names of most of my neighbors, but not all. So we would just walk, and I would say, oh, this is where so-and-so lives, this is where so-and-so lives. And um, there's a woman at the end of our block whose husband died recently, and they kept roses, so they have a little rose garden. So whatever, we're walking around. Later, we get a text from that woman who said, um, thank you, like I just, I'm weeping here, I'm in tears um, from the note that your son left me. Hmm. We had no idea. Joshua had written a note and rolled it up and stuffed it in a bottle that was in our hmm. kitchen window, and he had left it there in her rose bushes, and it basically just said, um, I know that your husband used to help you tend these roses, and I'm wondering mm. whether I could help you now. And she invited wow. him down. They, she bought gloves for him. Like, it just started this little relationship that otherwise would not have happened. That's when you just drop the mic as a mom and walk away. I was away. like, oh, okay. And then she, of course, spread the, like, she sent the picture mm. of the message in the bottle and posted it mm. on the neighborhood thing. Like, it grew. I, That's so neat. anyway, um, I take no credit for that. Like, we had just walked, because you had suggested that. Um, something else that came to mind was um, my husband's parents gave us a devotional, which I will plug, because it's a good one. Sure. It's called um, Indescribable by Louis Giglio. Okay. And it's for kids, and it's 100 devotions that are about God and science. And so we had this on our kitchen table, and at supper we would occasionally remember to pull it out after we'd finished mm -hmm. eating, and we'd read these. And um, so then here was another little moment where I was like, oh my goodness, something's working, something's happening. Um, yeah. I make my kids write Christmas lists every year. And this last year, Ben wrote um, that he wanted a devotional, 
Like that was on his Christmas list. Drop the mic, walk I away. I know, I'm like, yep. hello, why didn't I think of that? Mm-hmm. Um, so, so as I was shopping for a devotional for him, and I bought the second book in that series because now there's a second one yeah. out, I was realizing like I should, I should buy a devotional for Eliana. And then when I was in that section, I was like, oh, well, I kind of like this one. Like I'm just going to buy myself a Christmas present here. Mm-hmm. So it just, it's one of those things that like grew beyond mm-hmm. what it would have been. Yeah. Um, so just, I guess the strategy there is just like be open to these ideas and put yourself in a position to be um, blessed by the other people, like your suggestion sure. And, sure. and that gift. Katie, so. what about you? Things you've done that just, they've worked. Um, so you asked this yesterday and asked what strategies that we've used or implied. And I, I, I told you then, strategy sounds like I have this plan and it's intentional <laughs> and I put it into, pra- and it, it's not that yeah. way. It's not. Um, but if my end goals are kindness and service, I guess the way that we have taught our kids that um, is showing them that, like um, being examples of that and actually putting that into practice in our own lives and then finding ways to include our kids in those, those situations. So if we are volunteering to help out, we bring them along. Um, yeah. If we're you know, helping a, a family in the church or whatever. Yeah, we can be there and we can help, mm-hmm. but our kids are going to come help too. Is that okay? Um, so they see you doing it. Right. Okay. And please understand that my kids are real kids, so that doesn't mean that they always go along willingly. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> there are times that I get that, seriously, Mom? Yeah, seriously. But you don't, you don't let gonna... that stop you. Oh, absolutely you not. You don't go, oh, well, what do you guys want to do? Oh, you don't want to do that today? You don't, you, you, no, it's, my, we're doing this. My answer is, yeah. yes, seriously, let's go. Pick yeah. up your stuff, let's go. <laughs> yeah. So. Kicking and screaming. Absolutely. Yeah. okay. Yeah. Well, on the flip side, um, all of us as parents have tried things and they just haven't worked or we've dropped the ball. As you think about ways you wanted to put those into your kids, what are, what's a way maybe that you've man, I, I just feel like I didn't get that one right, or it didn't work. I can go first here. Yeah. Um, Good. So, um, I mean, I, I am just continually aware of the ways, like, I want my kids to learn these things, but I am still learning these things. And, mm. and so it's, like, I haven't fully learned the lesson that I want to teach, mm. I guess. Um, so, like, with this school thing... That's a great definition of parenting, but... Oh, okay. It is. <laughs> I have not fully learned the lesson I want to teach. You know, we've... I've been... They would say amen, but they're not... You've all been so there. It's all good. It's okay. Yeah. Um, so, just with this school thing, you know, we've been... I've been researching schools. I've been talking with other parents. I've been talking with students. I've been making my lists. You know, it's like, me, me, me. I've been doing, 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 doing. Mm. And then recently I was realizing, like, okay, I want my kids to go to God. I want them to discern his voice in their lives and to let him weigh in on their decisions. And this sure. is an important decision. So just realizing, like, I'm carrying this all around by myself instead of just asking mm. God to weigh in. And I know that I would feel so much mm. lighter about the process. Sure. Um, carrying the burden Yeah, yourself. and, and sure. I do have to be reminded. So... And you often are a part of that, and so are you. So thank you. Yeah. Katie? Um, 
So ways I've dropped the ball as a parent, there are a lot. But if I go back to my goals, goals one and two, mm-hmm. um, and kindness is one of my goals, again, my, my kids are real people, and mm. they are not kind to each other <laughs> on a regular, <laughs> as often as I would like for them to be. Yeah. How's that? Um, and I guess if, if I'm being real honest, um, I have set that example for them because mm. there are times, I know there are times now, even though I'm an adult, that when my brother and I get together, my parents always kind of mm. cringe. You know, what's, mm. what's going to happen now? How is this going to play out? Mm. Um, so that's something that I'm still working on. My brother is sure. the one person in the world that can make me angriest, the fastest. Um, so mm. in turn, modeling can be a great thing, and it can also yeah. bite you in the tail. Yeah. Um, well, and that's where the grace comes in. Like... Uh. And I'm so glad you started with that because I do feel like it's an impossible job and yeah. we're oh, yeah. imperfect people. And so just, yeah. I'm, I was thankful that you started with that today. Well, thank As you a for... matter of fact, yes. the yes. last time my brother and I were together and he had made me angry, I had to stop and pray, please God, because it was right after your sermon on kindness. <laughs> yeah, I remember you talking about that. Working yeah. things out like yeah. that, that I, I had to stop and pray. God, help me be kind. Help me be kind mm-hmm. to him because right now I don't want to be. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, so it is with God's, God's help. Well, and we have that resource. It's just that we forget to go there all the time. Sure. And so I guess if that's, that's what I want my kids to know is that sure. they have that resource and I want them to go there. Yeah, good. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you for your vulnerability and for your insight. Really appreciate it. Can you say thanks to them? Yeah. Hey, I want to invite you to stand with me. You received, hopefully, as you came in, the elements of communion, and and we're going to receive these elements together. We end, uh, each of our series, we end, we receive the Lord's Supper. We remember what Jesus has done for us, and the Lord's Supper is more than just a symbolic little wafer and juice that we drink. It's a reminder that we're invited to sit at the table. The first meal, if, you, if you're a part of the Seder dinner that happens on Monday night and you RSVP and you show up, you'll, you'll get some insights into what happened that first Passover that Jesus had with his disciples. It'll be so powerful, you'll never forget them. But the core element of it is that you're invited to the table. And so we want to end the series every time we do this, reminding you that you belong at the table. And so mom or dad, as you've been listening to this, husband or wife, as you've been trying to figure out, do I belong? Do I fit in? Do I have a place? Yeah, the grace of God welcomes you into his family to sit at his table. And so I want to invite you, if you would, if you take this this bread and break it and eat it and remember that Christ died for you and be thankful. And then I would invite you as well to take the cup and drink it and remember There's a seat at the table for you. Let me pray for you, and then we'll be done together. Lord, thank you for parental grace that uh, comes from a good father who loves us and that you yourself came into our world and sacrificed yourself for us. Because you knew we couldn't figure this thing out on our own, and so we need all of your help. We need your help in our marriages. We need your help in our families. We need your help in our lives. And so, God, Thank you for the seat at the table. Thank you for the invitation. 
we receive it today. And if it's for the first time, uh, we want to sit at your table and let you be our Father and love us and show us and guide us and lead us and rescue us and save us. Thank you. That's available for the person who doesn't know you today. So we pray this in your name, all God's people say.